What if you actually are following a mostly plant-based diet? Will that help you? The answer seems to be yes. There were healthcare workers in six different countries. They tracked what they ate and they rated them for more plant-based or less plant-based. In other words, if you were less plant-based, that meant you were eating chicken and fish and beef and cheese and kind of neglecting your vegetables and fruits. And the people who were more plant-based had a 73% reduced risk of severe COVID. But I got to tell you, the flip side of this was they looked at people who were doing keto and they did substantially worse. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 63 of season four, number 258 overall. The COVID-19 pandemic is proving that it is far from over. Caseloads are again exploding, and we're seeing reports that some hospitals are struggling to find room to treat all of the infected patients. This, as the highly contagious Delta variant, is now passing through our communities without prejudice. But there is some good news coming from two studies among a mountain of research on the coronavirus. And the evidence that these studies present appears to show that the first line of defense may, in fact, be what you eat. And a plant-based diet offers perhaps the strongest of all diet-related defenses. Dr. Neil Barnard is here with us to go over all of the data today. Also, we're going to be talking about the forecast as we head into the fall. When will this rise in cases and hospitalizations and, yes, sadly, even deaths begin to subside? Plus, we're going to be spending some time talking about a majorly divisive topic. We're going to be talking about vaccines. We're going to lay out the facts for you, how effective they are against the Delta variant. And we're also going to be talking about those breakthrough cases that you've probably been hearing about in the news. Also, how safe are the vaccines? What is the risk level associated with them? We're going to be talking about the pros and cons. And back to the diet, the food defense question is really twofold. How much can a plant-based diet protect you from a severe case of COVID-19? And can it help prevent you from becoming infected at all? We're going to be getting into all of that right now with Dr. Barnard. Dr. Barnard, thank you so very much for being here. Great to be here, Chuck. These are some really interesting studies, and it kind of goes back to what it is that we've been talking about throughout this pandemic, and, and that is the healthier you are, the less at risk you seem to be. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, can you talk to us a little bit about these two studies and what it is researchers have discovered? Yeah, and let, let me preface this really by saying we've, we've kind of suspected that diet ought to be a big actor here because when people are overweight, when they have diabetes, when they have hypertension, particularly when these things are really out of control, um, COVID just becomes so serious and, and often fatal. But when people have these things under better control, they do better. That suggests that if your diet is really good, these conditions are going to be better. But the question really then was, well, what if you actually are following a mostly plant-based diet, will that help you? And the answer seems to be yes. Uh, the first of these studies was involving healthcare workers. 
There were healthcare workers in six different countries. They tracked what they ate and they rated them for more plant-based or based or less plant-based. In other words, if you were less plant-based, that meant you were eating chicken and fish and beef and cheese and kind of neglecting your vegetables and fruits. And then if you were more plant-based, that meant you were vegan or closer to it. And the people who were more plant-based had a 73% reduced risk of severe COVID. But I got to tell you, the flip side of this was they looked at people who were doing keto or low-carb diets, and they did substantially worse, a 48% increased risk of severe COVID. So don't go there. So that's the first study. The second study just came out last week and a fascinating study, a huge study, more than a half a million people were studied in the UK and the US. And it was done in a cool way. Everyone volunteered to track their symptoms as the pandemic was kicking in and they did it through a smartphone. And in the course of this long, huge study, more than 30,000 people developed COVID. So who were they? And they first rated what they ate with what you call a food frequency questionnaire. How frequently do you eat steak? How frequently do you eat fish? How often do you have cheese? How often do you have spinach? How often do you have brown rice? And, and you do a detailed food frequency questionnaire. And they then rated them for, were they less plant-based or more plant-based? And the first finding was the people who were more plant-based had a 9% reduced risk of getting COVID of any severity. Okay, not huge, but we'll take it. But then they looked at who gets really sick. And with severe COVID, the people who are more plant-based had almost a 60% reduced risk of developing. So both of these studies showed the same thing and in almost the same quantity that if you are really following a plant-based diet, the, the, the more you get there, the less likely you are to have severe COVID. And that stands up even if we control for the usual things, vaccinations and physical activity and so forth. So uh, good news, uh, yet another reason to follow a healthy diet. And it seems like, speaking of, of healthy, I, I want to key in on that word health. It seems like this pandemic has really kind of forced us, by and large, to take a good, strong, hard look at our own health. Do you think that that's kind of an accurate assessment? Do you think that, by and large, as a society, we're really starting to think about some of the choices that we've been making? Chuck, I, I think we're in two different groups. I think there are people who, frankly, have been sitting home during the pandemic, eating badly, gaining weight, neglecting their medical treatments. Um, and those people are in, in, in bad shape. And there's been a lot of that. And studies have come out looking at diet quality. And by and large, it's been degrading in a lot of countries. However, um, within that, there is a very large subset of people who are the most health conscious they have ever been. And these are the people who are going to websites like, like ours. These are people who are watching Exam Room, uh, Exam Room Live and listening to the, the podcasts and, and, and reading the books and watching the movies and, and trying out healthier things. Um, and so those people, I think, really are doing what they can, not just to keep the virus away, but to improve their health in many other ways, because the same diet that's good against COVID is good for your coronary arteries and good for your waistline. 
We'll be talking a little bit more about that a little bit later on in this segment, but I think that a lot of people are hearing right now about this Delta variant, and they're hearing that these case numbers are exploding, and this thing is, it's just spreading like wildfire, and we're starting to see numbers that we haven't seen for months again, and we're seeing mask mandates come out, and it's got people a little bit rattled. So can you paint a picture for us as to where things actually stand right now in terms of the virus? Yeah, uh, we should be nervous about it. Now, we're not where we were before, but let me first show you globally um, the reported daily deaths. So if you, if you look back at, say, January, February, there worldwide, we were at 13, 14,000 people dying a day globally. And then it slid down in, in March, came back up again in April and and, uh, and May, and then it came, came down. The newest downward trend has been due to vaccination, which has been uh, proceeding so, uh, fairly quickly at first, slowing down now. But now where are we? We're in August. And if you look at the projections way out to the right, the red dot that's shooting up, that's if people just don't get vaccinated and don't do social distancing and don't wear their masks any more than they are now. Things are going to get a lot worse. And you notice the projection gets worse than we were in January. The bottom line, the green line, is the projection, University of Washington uh, projection, if vaccines become very popular and people are, are masking up and really taking care of themselves. The middle line is where they think it's going. And where we think it's going is probably, you know, continuing uh, death rates uh, a bit worse than where we are now. But let's focus in on the United States. The United States, we saw, again, the same huge uh peak in January, February, and then it has settled down. And right now we're at about maybe 300 deaths a day. That's going to go up to about a thousand, according to the best uh, projections we have. And it's going to do it in about four weeks time. Um, so <laughs> people are nervous about that. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to think that a thousand a day is good compared to January. But can you imagine losing a thousand people a day? Best projections are that's what's going to happen starting uh, about 28 days from now. Yeah. And a lot of this does go back to the Delta variant, I do believe. Right. Um, in terms of how transmissible uh, the Delta variant is, uh, I think I've seen the CDC report. It, uh, somebody had, had put this out there. They had gotten their hands on some sort of internal CDC document that said something to the effect of it's uh, more transmissible than the chicken pox, certainly more so than the common cold or flu. And that is the big reason why things are spreading um, the way that they are right now. But I also wonder about the vaccinations and how that is either, I, I mean, how effective are they against this particular variant? Uh, that's really the big question here. Uh, short answer, both of the things you said are, are exactly spot on. The, the, the Delta variant is extremely transmissible, but the vaccines do seem to be effective. Uh, let's put a little asterisk on that, though. Let me walk you through it real quick. Um, the Alpha variant, that's the, that was the original one, uh, was followed by many others. And the ones that I have on the list here are by no means all. Keep in mind, viruses don't live outside the human body. They, they, somebody sneezes, that virus has got to find somebody else to live in. And that new person, can be sometimes a new species if it goes from a, a bat to a human. And so the viruses are 
inclined to mutate to be able to, to overcome the immune defenses. That's why they're always changing. They're trying to outwit the defenses of whomever they find themselves in. So Delta is the bad one now. Uh, mark my words, it is not the last by any means. But Delta is out and does it work? Um, back in uh, the beginning of last month, we had some pretty good data suggesting that it's the efficacy of the, the Pfizer vaccine, not quite as good against Delta as it was against Alpha for infection overall. But the good news is that it's pretty effective against severe disease. So a person who catches it much less likely, if they're vaccinated, much less likely to need hospitalization, much less likely to die. Um, however, Chuck, I got to tell you, um, we all got a cold bath. Um, the July 4th um, weekend and um, in the couple weeks that followed, there were some events in Provincetown, Massachusetts that really uh, took everyone by surprise. There were almost 500 COVID infections. It was all Delta and three quarters of them were in vaccinated people. So what is this about? Well, first of all, a little bit of good news. There were only five hospitalizations, nobody died. But it suggested that even if you're vaccinated, you might get this virus. So what about? Well, to make things even worse, the reports that have been coming out just in the last couple of days are that the people who were vaccinated and got sick, they were carrying the virus pretty much like people who are not vaccinated. So that made some people think, oh, then why bother getting vaccinated? Why bother getting vaccinated? Here's the key. Vaccinated individuals are much less likely to get sick in the first place. And let, let me show you what I mean. Um, this graph shows you inhale the virus, it, it replicates in your body, it stays there for a while, you're, you're shedding it the whole time, and eventually your immune system knocks it out. If you're vaccinated, this curve is much, is a very different shape. Um, you, you inhale the virus, it's still in your body, but you knock it out much faster and you don't transmit it as long. Why? Because your immune response is earlier and stronger because you are vaccinated. So there are some people who are still going to get sick, even with the vaccination. Why? Because, well, number one, the vaccine. Was it refrigerated properly? Was it expired? Um, did you get both doses? Uh, if, if the vaccination itself was not done well. You don't have a good response. Secondly, the person. This is probably the biggest thing. There are people where they just don't mount a very good immune response. They get the vaccine and for some reason, they're the one in 20 people where it just doesn't work very well. And third, the virus. The virus is changing and it is more transmissible and a little bit more deadly than, than the alpha variant. But what that means is that all the people who've got a good vaccine and they're able to mount a good response, those people are not gonna pick up the, the virus in all likelihood, but that maybe one in 20 who does due to the, the vaccine, the virus, or their own inability to mount a, a response, they're just almost like an unvaccinated person. So this isn't an argument against the vaccines. The vaccines are very effective, but it means they are not 100% effective. Uh, let's 
stop right there and, and talk about the vaccines. I mean, obviously, there is a lot of debate about that. Uh, you see it trickling over in everything from your day to day life to headlines on ESPN Sports Center. You know, who <laughs> you see the NFL this year is talking about, well, if players can't play and the games need to be forfeited, they're going to also then wind up forfeiting their paychecks. I mean, like, so this is a, it's a big deal in all walks of life. And I think that we should take a second here, Dr. Barnard, and talk about kind of the pros and cons. Give this an honest assessment of what are the pros of the vaccine, and then what are some of the side effects that people are noticing with them as well? So are you able to walk us through that? Yeah, let me walk you through the side effects. Um, first, the good news is that most of the side effects are pretty mild. There's a lot of them, but they're not terrible. Um, you get vaccinated, you're the place where they stuck you swells, it's red, it's, it hurts a little bit. Uh, you might have some fever, you might have headache, tiredness. Most people don't have any of this, but many people have a little bit where for a day or so you feel uh, off your game. And the I have to say the uh, COVID vaccines are by no means the worst. If you ever had a shingles vaccination, often people have to kind of write off their week. They just feel so bad um, afterwards. It's because of the immune adjustment. But you do get these, these side effects. They're, they're, they're not uncommon. Luckily, they're mild. But let's talk about the serious side effects. And I think it's important to pay attention to them because I think as physicians, we're not doing our patients any favors by sort of cheerleading and saying that pharmaceuticals never have risks. They do. Um, and there are some that are serious. Luckily, they're really rare. Uh, anaphylaxis severe allergy. You're allergic to strawberries. You eat a strawberry, you have anaphylactic shock, and that's that's bad. This can happen with vaccines. Good news, they're rare. Two to five cases per million vaccines. Most of the time people know about it, but if you get vaccinated, this is why you're going to stick around in the vaccine center for 15, 20 minutes before they're going to let you leave. They want to make sure that you don't have a serious vac uh, anaphylactic reaction. Okay. Second, um, there's something called TTS or thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome. Uh, this is the Janssen vaccine. It's not the Pfizer, it's not the Moderna. Um, and it's serious, but luckily there have only been about 39 cases of it uh, as of the end of last month, as of about a week ago. And out of 13 million doses, only 39 cases. So very serious, quite rare. Uh, next up, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, for those who are old enough to remember this, the H1N1 vaccine that came out Oh, call it three decades ago, um, uh, triggered the same uh, syndrome. Guillain-Barre is a, a syndrome of, of tremendous weakness. Uh, it can be serious. Usually it resolves on its own. And you see it, you see, frankly, you see it with a lot of things. You see it with infections. And it can happen with vaccines. And with, again, Janssen, there have been 137 cases. Out of 13 million doses, um, Again, extremely rare, but it's a serious thing when people have it. Okay, here's um, a little bit more common, not as serious, but it's myocarditis or peri pericarditis, where the heart is being attacked. This almost always resolves on its own. Uh, sometimes treatment is needed. And there have been about 1,000 cases, 1,100, 1,200 1, cases uh, with Pfizer and Moderna, but that's out of 300 million uh, doses now. So again, very, very rare. But, but those, are, those are the bad ones. Those are the things that people are, are concerned about. Um, if you compare that to the risk of having a serious case of, of COVID, um, the risk of, of getting COVID and dying of it much, much higher, of course. Um, 
But uh, Chuck, if you don't mind, I want to walk you through um, some slides that came from medical centers because people are going to ask the question, is it a good idea to get vaccinated? And, and if you're a healthcare worker or if you're just anybody. And some really important data came out of two studies, one in the US, one in Israel. Let me show you the Israeli study first. Um, that if you could see the tan line that's shooting up, that's cumulative cases in people who were not vaccinated. The vaccine came out, they didn't get it. Um, and either they got symptomatic or they were asymptomatic, meaning they felt fine, but they were carrying the virus. They were transmitting it to other people without knowing they had it. That's, those are the tan lines. Uh, the blue lines at the bottom, those are vaccinated people, much less likely to get it, much less likely to have symptoms, much less likely to have an asymptomatic infection. And then uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital, you, you hear about them on TV, they're advertising a lot for donations for their charitable work. Uh, when they instituted their vaccine program, there were about 2,000 unvaccinated people. Followed them for 81 days. The number who went positive, uh, 185 of them, 79 were asymptomatic. Okay, how about the people who got the vaccine? At least one dose or two doses followed for the next 72 days. There were 51 positives, 29 asymptomatic. Well, that doesn't sound so good, does it? You got 59 people who get sick, even though they got the or at least they get a positive test, even though they got the vaccine. Well, if you look at those who actually had two doses, not just the one dose, it's cut to about 10. So what these studies show us is that when people are vaccinated, they are A, less likely to get the virus, period, B, less likely to have symptoms. And it really means that you're having an immune response that will knock it out sooner and make you less likely to give the virus to somebody else. Just out of curiosity, what uh, what do the physicians at the Barnard Medical Center, at the Physicians Committee, what what is the policy there as far as who should be vaccinated? One hundred percent vaccinated. Um, and and here here here's the policy. Um, we don't require that employees in general. We haven't yet enacted a policy that employees in general must be vaccinated. Um, if somebody is a, a bookkeeper who works from home or something like that. However, every person who works in the clinic will have any interaction with the patient, whether it's at the front desk or taking a blood pressure or it's a doctor or, or a nurse or 100% vaccinated. So what that effectively means is that every single worker in the clinic is vaccinated. And it's not true just there. It's also true in our clinical research studies. Somebody's got diabetes, they're part of a research study. Anybody who draws their blood, anybody who's going to, uh, to interact with them in any way will be vaccinated. And I have to say, this does not mean that we don't think that there are issues about vaccines. There are. There are rare side effects that are, that are in some cases, serious. However, our job here is to protect our patients and to protect our research participants. So when, as Hippocrates said, first do no harm, if somebody comes in, we cannot in good conscience give them a caregiver who hasn't been vaccinated. So we have a rule that all caregivers, everybody who has any interaction with patients or research participants is vaccinated. And we have no exceptions for any reason of any kind. And that is very much in line with the joint statement that was put out recently, I think by 60 medical groups, including the American Medical Association that was calling on uh, all doctors, all physicians, hospitals, 
healthcare centers in general to make sure that anyone who does in fact have that interaction with patients also be vaccinated. So this isn't just some policy that the physicians committee or those at BMC have come up with on their own. This is very much in line with the majority of medical and healthcare workers out there, correct? Yeah, and, and we have we, we, we really have no choice, Chuck, I have to say. Um, we could assign somebody to draw blood who has been vaccinated or has not been vaccinated. We, we really have no choice. They have to be vaccinated. Um, we're a little bit different in the sense that um, at some of these other medical centers, some big medical centers, they will require the whole staff to be vaccinated. Uh, a bookkeeper who's working in the basement never sees anybody um, will be fired if they aren't vaccinated. However, they, they will make exceptions for religious beliefs or a physical issue. Like uh, if you would get anaphylaxis from the vaccine, you can keep your job, but um, you don't have to be vaccinated. And that would even go for a doctor. So at many of the big hospitals, a doctor who, say, has a religious belief that they shouldn't be vaccinated, they could continue to work. With us, we don't have those exceptions. Um, so every single person who has any patient interaction is vaccinated. But if a person, let's say a person refuses to be vaccinated, we haven't had that. Uh, with our with anybody at BMC, but but if that were the case, they would be reassigned to some role that didn't involve working with patients. They would be doing books or doing tele telemedicine or something like that. And I guess let's kind of tie up some loose ends here uh, as as we conclude things. Um, and one of the questions that we've received on the show quite a bit is, what is the likelihood? that we will need vaccines into the future uh, to combat the new strains of COVID-19 that will in inevitably pop up the same way that the flu vaccine changes every year to keep up with the various strains. Is that something that most experts say is indeed in our future? We're at a fork in the road now where one possibility is that the vaccines will be so effective that herd immunity will take over and the disease will just die out. That can happen. There are infectious diseases that have, all, for all intents and purposes, been eradicated from the earth. Um, I honestly don't think that's gonna happen. And the reason I don't think it's gonna happen is we don't have herd immunity yet. And we have enough people who, who either haven't been vaccinated or the vaccine doesn't work. Um, so the other option um, or the other path is like influenza, where influenza entered Back in 1918, the Spanish flu came in, killed, what, 50 million people, and then it kind of waned as people got more immune strength against it, but it never was gone. And since that time, it has continued to mutate, and every single year, we get various uh, new forms of it. I think that's where we're going with COVID, um, is that we're going to, we didn't have coronaviruses now, now we got them. I think we're just going to, um, I think this is the new normal, and how bad it is from one year to the next just depends on how many people um, have, well, it, it depends on the virus, the, the kinds of mutation it has and how many people are vulnerable. And my final question to you is this, just kind of want your educated opinion on this. Um, I recently did an interview with Dr. Vanita Rahman, uh, who we work with. Um, and that interview really centered around the weight gain that so many of us have experienced throughout the pandemic. There was a study that came out that showed that the typical person gained a pound and a half every month throughout the first 18 months of the pandemic because of the various uh, telecommuting, the lockdowns, the restrictions, all of that. We're all at home gaining a pound and a half 
per month. And we know that obesity is a big contributing factor in terms of risk of COVID-19. So um, just in your educated opinion, how detrimental is that monthly weight gain to a person's chances of not just becoming infected, but becoming severely ill with COVID? Fat cells are in many ways the entry point of the virus. You inhale the virus, it's looking for uh, what's a, sort of a molecular welcome mat, which is on the surface of the fat cell. The more body fat you have, the more you're throwing out this welcome mat. And body fat in and of itself is a problem with regard to COVID, but it also makes everything else worse. It makes diabetes worse and diabetes is a risk factor. It makes high blood pressure worse. Um, high blood pressure is a risk factor. So these are all some good reasons to eat beans and rice and, and broccoli and, and fruits and all the things that you and I have talked about as helping people to shed that excess weight. So I'm really hoping that when people are locked down, they're not going out, that they'll use that time to explore some, some healthier new foods. And, 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 and that, that can turn that entire curve in the, the opposite direction. People can be thinner and healthier than they've ever been. And I will end with this, just sharing an anecdote with you is you may not even remember this, but when we were doing the live shows last year, five days a week, one day I asked you the question, um, what would be the chances that I may even die if I contracted COVID-19, if I still were in that unhealthy 420 pound frame? And you paused for a moment and it was really hard for you to even articulate an answer how much greater those odds would be than they are today. And someone who heard that emailed me and was like, that was the wake up call that I needed to adjust my diet, change the way that I was eating. And I'm pretty certain that this person definitely went from gaining a pound and a half a month to losing perhaps two, three pounds a week because they changed their diet and are leading a healthier lifestyle. So uh, they wanted me to share that story with you and um, just say thank you as well. So we are doing good work, my friend. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you, Chuck, for getting the word out as you have. And, and, and also thanks to that, that listener for making that change. And I'm sure that everybody that that, that person interacted with was inspired and, and that they in turn are, are making changes. And that's one of the greatest things I have to say about this kind of work. If I were just handing out metformin prescriptions or lisinopril prescriptions or something like that, that might affect the person that you give it to. But when you give what I'm going to call a diet prescription, a healthier way of eating that rubs off on everybody who knows you rubs off on your family and you never know quite how many lives you'll save but it it's plenty Just hours after we recorded the interview health officials began to talk about a mutated form of the delta variant one that they're calling delta plus some health experts believe that this one is even more contagious than the strain that, as of August 4th, accounts for more than 93% of cases in the U.S. That figure is according to the CDC. Now, the agency also said that the number of Delta variant cases was even higher in Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska, where it is responsible for some 98% of all cases. And that is the current Delta variant, not the Delta Plus, that we are keeping an eye on. 
And some stats here to wrap up our discussion. These are the latest figures also as of August 4th. Since the beginning of the pandemic in the U.S., there have been more than 35,300,000 cases of coronavirus. And more than 614,000 Americans have lost their life. But both of those numbers, just a fraction of the global toll where more than 200 million cases have been reported and four and a quarter million people have died. So as we push forward, and as you have learned here today, what cannot be debated is that the healthier you are, the better off you are in the fight against COVID-19. There is no question about it. And right now in the episode notes, if you scroll down, you will find a link to the Physicians Committee's resource page on COVID-19 as well as vaccine safety. And if you're ready to start making some changes and following the science from the studies that we talked about here on the show today, you want to start eating a healthier diet. Well, the doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center can help. So please visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to schedule an appointment today. Insurance is accepted and telemedicine visits are available, meaning you can visit with a doctor or dietitian right in your own home or wherever you are. These are the same doctors and dietitians who you've heard time and again on this program. Doctors Vanita Rahman and Jim Loomis and Jasmine Sardana, dietitians Lee Crosby, Susan Levin, and Maggie Neola. All of them want to help. So please visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to schedule your appointment. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.